0: All right, so that's what we're going to be looking at um, over the next two months or so until the end of August. Uh, we'll pick back up with Genesis uh, starting in September. Um, so, uh, let me pray real quick, um, and, then, and then we'll get started. Lord, um, Lord, I ask You to speak to us this morning through Your Word um, as we look at the message uh, of the letter of Titus. Um, Lord, speak to us, um, and Lord, I pray for myself. um, Speak through me, uh, the the time that I've spent in Your Word and um, and studying. Lord, I pray that You would put that to good use, uh, and that and that it would be Your words, Lord, um, that I speak this morning. And I pray for all of us here um, that that Your Word would work in our hearts and and in our minds, and then uh, we would see what You have to say about yourself in this letter. and um, and that we would draw, draw conclusions for, for it, Lord, on, on how, how we are to respond to that and how we are to live our lives uh, based on who You say You are. Uh, these things we pray in Your name. Amen. 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 All right. So, what we see… When we look at Paul's letter to Titus, is we see that Titus is on the island of Crete um, and, that there's, and that there's two problems in the churches on the island. One of the problems that Paul is addressing is that the way the Christians in the churches on Crete are living, it does not align with their identity as Christians. Their belief in Christ, the salvation that they've attained, do not match the way that they're living. The other problem on Crete is false teachers and the false teaching that the false teachers are teaching within the church. So, the the two problems are false teaching and unchristian conduct, and these two problems are connected with each other. So, what we have is we have a group of churches full of Christians living their lives seemingly as their pre-Christian selves. And the reason for this is the false teaching that they're receiving, because with false teaching, it's not only that you're being taught something that's wrong, you're also not being taught something that's right. So, in order to correct the problems of false teaching and unchristian conduct, Paul gives Titus four tasks that he's meant to accomplish before he leaves Crete to meet up with Paul. So, in the matter of false teaching, Titus is tasked to appoint elders, men who are able to teach what Paul calls sound doctrine and that that they're able to rebuke those who contradict it. And Titus is also going to confront those that are doing the false teaching, that are teaching the false doctrines and causing division. Now, in the matter of unchristian conduct, appointing elders is going to ensure that teaching in the future will address godly conduct. But as this is a problem right now, Titus is also tasked to teach what accords with sound doctrine now, before he leaves the island. So, in chapter 2, we see that Titus is tasked to instruct the church on Christian conduct within the household. This is where Paul specifically says there's been so much division caused by the false teaching. And then in chapter 3, we see that Titus is going to be tasked with giving some instruction on Christian conduct within society, outside of the household. So, looking at the situation on Crete and at Paul's instructions to Titus, we see that Paul has two concerns, proper teaching and proper Christian behavior. And these two issues are very closely related. So, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 1 in Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. So, Paul is a servant of God and he's been sent out by Jesus for the sake of the faith of God's elect, meaning Christians, and their knowledge of the truth and the knowledge, and this is the knowledge that accords with godliness. Knowledge of the truth, what is this knowledge? This isn't knowledge of truth in general. This isn't like facts or trivia because facts and trivia don't lead me to godliness. This is knowledge of God, knowledge of Jesus. So, knowledge of the truth is knowledge of the message of the gospel. Now, what about this word accords? Paul writes, knowledge of the truth that accords with godliness. So, accords or accordance means in agreement, harmony, in conformity, or according to. It's something, it's that something corresponds. So, knowledge of the truth, the gospel, corresponds to godliness. Godliness flows from the gospel. Now, what about this word godliness? What exactly does this mean? Godliness is God-centeredness, as in not self-centeredness or other-centeredness. And we see throughout the letter that Paul gives different examples of godly behaviors or behaviors that are God-centered and God-focused, not self-centered or self-focused. So, Paul is concerned about Christian behavior that is not in line with the message of the gospel. But Paul's concern isn't because he just wants people to do things that he wants them to do, and it's not because he just wants people to run around doing a bunch of good things just for the sake of doing good things. Paul's concern about Christian behavior is because an individual Christian's behavior is a reflection of that individual Christian's knowledge of the truth. A Christian's behavior reflects their knowledge of the truth. This is their knowledge and understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is, and the message of the gospel. The way that we live our lives reflects what we believe about the gospel, about who God says He is, who Jesus says He is, and that's because gospel knowledge leads to gospel living. So, what are we supposed to do with this today, now, in Galway, not in Crete? If it's true that gospel knowledge leads to gospel living, I have to ask myself, how am I living my life? Am I living my life in accordance with the truth of the gospel, or am I living my life in accordance with something else? If it's true that the way that I live my life reflects what I believe about the gospel, what do my actions say that I believe? Now, of course, I'm going to turn this around. What do your actions say about what you believe. If you say that you're a Christian, does the way that you live correspond with what you say you believe? Are you living in accordance with the gospel, or are you living in accordance with something else? So, Paul expands on this thought later in the letter. We're going to look uh, at chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. So, the the grace of God… And the salvation are training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age so if you're a christian what this means is that your life in some form is in alignment with the truth of the message of the gospel through gospel knowledge you have been transformed inwardly working towards outward transformation into gospel living it means that because of your faith in christ and your knowledge of the truth, you have placed your hope not in yourself, not in a political system, not in another person like a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, not in a church leader, not in humanity, not in human achievement. Your hope is in the, pro- the promised eternal life, promised by God that you will one day be fully united with God in heaven. This is what you look forward to, and this is what your life reflects. So, let's not be confused about this. Gospel knowledge leads to gospel living, but the change that occurs in us is not from our own effort. It's not that the gospel is a great motivational message. The change that occurs in us when we put our faith in Christ occurs because of the gospel message. The knowledge of the truth, it comes from God, and so it leads us to God. We live gospel lives because gospel knowledge, which comes to us from God, brings us to God. And so we can live godly lives that are, as Paul says in verse 12, that are upright and self controlled. So we ask ourselves what does my life reflect? Does my life reflect that I have this gospel knowledge? Now, you could be sitting here today as we're looking at this letter and thinking, well, I am a Christian, but I'm not sure that I reflect gospel knowledge very well. Or maybe you're thinking of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and you're thinking, I'm a Christian, but I don't really have a whole lot of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control in my life. I'm missing some of those things. Or maybe you're thinking about a recurring sin that you struggle with, that it just won't go away, and no matter what you do, this sin is always coming back to you. And so you're asking, but what does this mean for me? Look, we all struggle with this, and this is part of the Christian life. When we're saved, we are saved fully, and we're fully justified before God, but we are not made perfect, and we won't be made perfect in this life. We still live in a sinful world and we still have sin in our lives, and we can't summon up goodness from within ourselves. We can't take away our own sin struggles, but we can work towards good things. Sin in our lives doesn't mean that we're not Christians. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't working in us, and we should struggle with these things. If we're not struggling with the sin in our lives, if we're not fighting against it, that is something that is worrisome. So this struggle with sin in our lives, this is part of what we call sanctification, the process of being holy. Our own effort, it's our own effort empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to change us, to become more like Christ. It's okay that we aren't perfect. We can't be, and we won't be. But we can ask God to work in our lives, and to work in our hearts, to change our desires, to protect us from sin, to deliver us from temptation, to conform us to the image of Christ. Gospel knowledge leads to gospel living, and this is a process of transformation. Now, there might be someone sitting here today that doesn't claim to be a Christian. You're not a Christian, you don't claim to be a Christian, and you might be thinking, this has nothing to do with me. Well, there is something here for you today, and it's this. Give your life to Christ today. Give in to the call of the gospel today. Right now, sitting in this room with you, you are surrounded by sinners, but you're surrounded by sinners who, realizing the futility of living without God, have placed their hope in Jesus, who offers salvation to all, and He's offering salvation to you. You're surrounded by a family of brothers and sisters in Christ, and you can join this family. If you're not a Christian today, what you need to understand is that you are a sinner. You have sin in your life, and it's this sin that separates you from God. You are separated from God. You have a broken relationship with God, but God loves you, and that's why He sent Jesus to earth to die for you, to pay for your sins so that you don't have to pay for your sins yourself, so that you don't have to die for your sins. You will die, you will die uh, physically, but you don't have to die spiritually. And when we die without Christ, without forgiveness for sins, when we die physically, we die spiritually as well, and we end up separated from God forever. And this is what hell is. But you don't have to do that. Now, you don't have to accept Jesus' offer either. You can choose to reject it, but if you choose that, if you choose that you do not want God in your life, after you die, He will give you exactly what you've asked for, and that is eternity without Him. Now, it's possible also that there's someone here today, and you think you're a Christian, but in reality, you're not this is a dangerous place to be in, thinking that you're safe when really you are in great danger of eternal separation from God. So if you think that you're a Christian because you were born to Christian parents or because you grew up in the church or because you come here on Sundays, if you think you're a Christian for any reason other than having placed your faith in Christ, You are not a Christian. Conversion is a personal act that comes down to each person as a choice to be made. Nobody can make it for another person. It cannot be inherited. Being near to God, being near to His people is not enough to save you. You must make the decision for yourself. If you're a parent, it's extremely important that you understand this because your faith in Christ does not pass down to your children. Because you're a Christian, that does not mean that your children are Christians. It does not mean that they have accepted Christ. You cannot make that decision for them. They must make it on their own. And that's why it's so important if you're a parent to understand the influence that you have over your children. And that's why it's so important that we pray for our children here in the church. And it's so important for parents to be modeling what a godly uh, life looks like so that their children can see. If you think you're a Christian because of the good things that you do, you're not a Christian because good deeds do not outweigh sin. And even if good deeds could outweigh sin, there is no way that any of us could do enough good deeds to outweigh the sin in our lives. So, there are a few things in life that are certain. One of the things in life that is certain is death. Another thing in life that is certain is God's offer of forgiveness, and He is faithful. If you place your hope in Him, He will save you, and you will have renewed relationship with Him and new life in Him. If you're not a Christian today, please accept this offer before it's too late. So, our homework this week is for us to examine our lives to see where we stand with God and to consider our response to him or changes that are needed in our lives again paul's concern about gospel living the concern about christian behavior it's not about being good and not doing bad stuff christian behavior reflects christian beliefs and christian behavior it teaches the people around us who god is and what we believe about who God is, and it teaches about His character, about His love, and about His faithfulness. So, one of Paul's concerns uh, is proper teaching. This is why he's asked Titus to appoint elders, but let's not think that teaching is only for the elders, or only for the preachers, the people that stand up here in the front. See, we're all teachers. The things that we say and the things that we do, they teach People around us, what we believe about God, and Paul calls this out at the beginning of the second chapter. Uh, there, there's a list there, which and, and we saw this in the video: uh, older men and older women, younger men and younger women, servants and slaves in the household, parents of children. Nobody's left out of this list, and what we see is that everyone in the church, everyone who calls themselves a Christian, has somebody that looks up to them as an example of what a Christian looks like. So the gospel living that becomes a part of our lives as Christians, it's not only for our benefit, it's also for the benefit of the people around us, the people in our family, the people at our jobs, uh, in our sports clubs, our neighbors. So gospel knowledge leads to gospel living. And through our lives, we represent Christ to the world. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you uh, for, for the, the command uh, to Paul uh, to, to preach the gospel um, and for his concern in writing this letter to Timothy that we can benefit from uh, so many years later. Lord, I pray uh, for the people here today that don't know you, Lord, that you would work in their hearts, um, that they would uh, that they would see who you are, and that they would respond to your offer of salvation before it's too late. And for those of us, Lord, that do know you, God, work in our hearts and continue to transform us um, into who you would have us be, conforming us to the image of your Son. Lord, um, that we might be living right before you, but also. Uh, that we might be a good representation of you uh, to the people around us uh, that we encounter every day and every week. Um, We pray for our children, Lord, uh, that they would grow up to know you, um, to understand who you are, and to place their faith in you. And these things we pray in your name. Amen.